Hi, everybody. Welcome once again to A Walk Down Memory Lane. Our show today is brought to you by our friends at Kamali Electric. What an absolute pleasure and honor to have a good buddy, Boston Bruins Hall of Famer and president of the Boston Bruins Alumni Association. What a pleasure to welcome to the program today, Rick Nifty Middleton. How you doing, my man? Uh, thank you, Wayno. It's great to be on with you this morning. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. You're the pride of Toronto, Canada, where you were born, and you had a, a wonderful, wonderful career from 1974 to 1988. We're going to talk about a lot of things today, but we're going to start off with you. In 1973, you're the 14th overall pick by the Rangers. You go in the first round. I don't mm. think people realized also that year you were the 21st overall pick for the Minnesota Fighting Saints of the WHA. Yeah, very, yes, and uh, I'm, I'm, well, fortunate or unfortunate, in those days when the WHA came up, uh, we, it was a competing league, and the salaries actually started to go up. And if you, if you hit it the right way, you had some bargaining power. But, you know, of course, everybody wanted to play in the NHL, and, and luckily I went in the NHL first round and not to the WHA until the second round. So I didn't have a lot of bargaining power. But I had uh, one of the best agents ever in the NHL, Alan Eagleson, as an agent. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Boy, is that so, that, that tongue-in-cheek, right? <laughs> uh, uh, wow, well, big tongue-in-cheek. Tongue <laughs> now, that year, you also uh, you won the Red Wilson Trophy for the Outstanding Player. Um, Red, the Red Tilson Award. Uh uh, which is a is a I'm not sure how far it goes back, but some great players have won it. It's the, the MVP award for the Ontario Hockey Association, one of the three junior leagues in Canada. And it was a great honor winning that um, that year, and and uh, you know that really helped propel me in, into the draft. Well, you also enjoyed a great junior hockey career. You played for the Oshawa Generals. Another gentleman might come to mind if you're a diehard Boston Bruins fan, a gentleman by the name of Robert Gordon Orr, also <laughs> played for Oshawa. And and you led, Nifty, you led the league in scoring your final season. Yeah, I led in, in goals anyways. I was, I, I, the year before, my, I only played two years of junior. Um, you had to be 20 to be drafted in those days. So I, I didn't start playing junior, junior A hockey until I was 18. I, I never felt I was big enough. But, um, yeah, the Oshawa General is one of the storied uh, teams and organizations in the, in the Ontario Junior League. And, yes, Bobby, Bobby Orr played there. The story goes that they were recruiting him when he was 12 years old. Wow. <laughs> Played wow. for Oshawa. Because in those days, the, the, the junior teams were, were owned by the NHL teams, and Boston happened to uh, own, own Oshawa. So anybody that played in Oshawa was Boston's property. So that's how they ended up getting Bobby back in those days. But a couple other guys that, that you would know with the Bruins that played in Oshawa were Wayne Cashman. Wayne Cashman, that's right. And Terry O'Reilly, who's actually from Oshawa. I didn't realize that. Taz is from Oshawa, huh? Yeah. yeah. Wow. wow. Taz grew up as a, playing goalie until he was 12 years old. Can you believe that? Oh, my goodness gracious. Is that right? What a, what a great trivia fact that is. Never yeah, had yeah. any any clue. But as we all know, know boy, that. one of the one of the toughest guys uh, to ever lace him up. That's for sure. Exactly. Now, you played one year in the Rangers farm system. You're at AHL for the, for the Providence Reds. Uh, now, of course, it's the Providence Bruins. Your rookie year for the Rangers, uh, you're a you're rookie of the year. Am I correct? Well, 
73, 74, I went to training camp for the Rangers. And uh, you're old enough to remember that in uh, 72, the Rangers and the Bruins played for the Stanley Cup. Bruins won 42. Yeah, they clinched it at the Madison Square Garden. Beat them in six. So I went to camp that next September, and the Rangers still had a Stanley Cup caliber team. Uh, so I didn't break the lineup in uh, that year, and they sent me uh, uh, to Providence, which I never looked at it as a demotion or anything. I'm just happy to uh, be on, in the Rangers organization, be in the NHL, and uh, never really had a clue where Providence, Rhode Island was because <laughs> I'm from Toronto, Canada. And uh, I just remember hopping in my new car, my new uh, Pontiac Grand Dam, 400 uh, uh, four-barrel, and driving to Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, it was the first year the Dunkin' Donuts Center was built. They called it the Civic Center. Yeah, Providence and Civic was, Center, that's right. It, it was great. Uh, you know, 10 guys living in Cranston, in a, in a single, 10 single guys in an apartment building. We had a blast, and we did. We went to the finals that year, lost to Hershey in five games, but uh, I did end up winning Rookie of the Year in the American League that year. And you're also first-team All-Star as well. First team. Thanks yeah. for mentioning that. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We try to be very thorough when we've got guys of your caliber you are. on this you on are. this uh, on this program. We're taking a, a walk down memory lane today with Boston Bruins great Hall of Famer <laughs> and current president. It's a long lane. It's a long lane. <laughs> <laughs> it way back. Rick Nifty Middleton is with me here today. 1976. Now, Nifty, you get traded to the Bruins for Ken Hodge, probably. Uh, one of the biggest steals, I think, in the history of the NHL, and that's certainly not a – Haji's a very good friend, but he would only go on to play one more year, and you enjoyed an outstanding, outstanding career with the Boston Bruins, I believe, for the next 12 years. Well, Kenny Kenny was uh, 10 years my senior, so that you know that has something to do with it, where I was just uh, a young guy coming up trying to make his way. And um, As the story goes, the, the big trade was that year in 75 – uh, with Phil Esposito and Carol Badney coming from Boston to New York for Rod Gilbert, I mean for um, John Rattel, Brad Park, and there was and, another. Wasn't there another one that got thrown in there? Yeah, it Joe was, Zanussi. Uh, yeah, Joey Z, great guy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and um, so when Espo got to New York, I actually had the honor of playing on a line with him, which was which was super. But the team didn't gel that year. It's the only year I missed the playoffs in my career. Hmm. And um, Espo, I guess uh, John. We had three different coaches that year. There were it was a wholesale uh, change in the organization. Uh, John Ferguson, who was a tough guy with the Montreal Canadiens uh, hmm. in the '60s, early '70s, uh, was the third coach. And he's uh, he was friends with Espo, and Espo kept hounding him, as the story goes, to get one of his old wingers from Boston. And hmm. uh, Rangers had soured on me because I think I was having too much fun in New York. And, uh, yeah, you know, which I definitely know I was having too much fun. <laughs> You're the big but, apple, uh, man, of course. Yeah. And in May, they decided to make the trade for myself for Kenny. And, uh, you know, who knew where what would happen with me as far as uh, the future years. But luckily, uh, coming to Boston, a coach like Don Cherry, a disciplinarian, knew the game, uh, and he – kind of uh, took me under his wing and it took, you know, I played under him for three years and that really helped propel me into the 1980s. And, and that's where I, I really uh, uh, run the points up for, for myself. Yeah, we're we're going to talk, and, about, we're going to talk about great. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, and the team, but the first two years I was in Boston, we, 
I went from not making the playoffs in, in New York to Stanley Cup Finals two years in a row, mm. and then the the famous seventh game, uh, too many men on the ice in the next year. So you you couldn't go from one end of the spectrum to the other, <laughs> except Stanley Cup. Yeah. Well, that was certainly you coming. What what was that? What was that like for you? You're a you're a young kid. You come to Boston. Um, you know, you, you've got the, the legacy of Bobby Orr, the big, bad Bruins. Uh, the Bruins actually had some great teams. They won the Cup in 70, 72, and they lost to the Flyers uh, six right. games in 74. And what, right. was it, what was that like for you? I want to mention also, too, your first game, you scored a hat trick against Minnesota. So, I mean, you were, you were destined to, to, to be with the Bruins. Well, it's, it's kind of a funny story, but, the, you know, the first question there, you know, I grew up in Toronto, which was um, – an original six uh, team, the Maple Leafs, in the 60s, who won four Stanley Cups, 1967 being their last one. So I was really acclimated to knowing every player in the league. I had all the hockey cards. There was only six teams, maybe 120 guys, so it wasn't hard. And, but in those days, the Rangers and the Bruins fought for last place in the 60s. They, were, they weren't very good, very good teams. So when I got uh, drafted in the 70s by the Rangers, they, their organization had come up. And as I said, they went to the finals in 72. So, you know, I was thrilled. It was another original six uh, team an organization i was thrilled to go to new york you know dreams of a ticker tape parade down fifth avenue blah 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 <laughs> well, they had just gone to the cup and so i thought it was a good possibility right but actually the organization went backwards for a few years before coming back in the late 70s and 80s but and then getting traded to boston another original six team you know, um, and Bobby Orr. And when I got traded in May of 76, Bobby was still on the team. I was thrilled. I'm, and I played with Brad and Jean Rattel in New York. And I'm thinking Brad Park and, and Bobby on defense on the power play. Mm. I couldn't really, you know, nobody wants to get traded. When I first heard it, I was kind of down. But then, you know, more I thought about it, uh, I, I couldn't wait to get up to uh, to Boston. And uh, uh, I stayed in New York, uh, in Long Beach, Long Island that summer. That's where we lived because we used to practice there all the time. And then uh, I popped in my car and drove to Pittsburgh, Mass., and uh, looking for the lovely Holiday Inn off the of route, too. <laughs> now, now you, you catch you catch the tail end of, of Bob. I think he and Brad Park, they only had like – 20 or 22 games that they played together. Uh, yeah. How much how much pain was he in in the dressing room? Because his knees were really, they were gone well, by then. What happened was he was on the team in May, but he was gone by September. I never got to play with Bobby. Mm. Then that's one of my biggest regrets in my career that, you know, even if it was only for B for seven games or 20 games, I would have loved to have done it. Mm. Um, he ended up going to Chicago that year. So I never... Never played with him, and I, I never firsthand saw you know what he went through. But you know, it's a legend today mm. uh, how he played on those knees later in his career. It's mm. Incredible! I think it's, it was a, in one uh, Canada Cup. Bobby Clark had said, I think it was in '72, um, might even have been '74. I think that that is, is no '76. His knees. He said he 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 uh, was the MVP of the series. Uh, right. The Summit Series, and uh, he said he played on one leg. That's, yeah, that's I mean, how good he was. Right at the end, that was right at the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we're uh, ch- we're chatting here with Boston Bruins Hall of Famer Rick Nifty Middleton. Who who gave you the nickname Nifty? Well, one guy took credit for it, and I don't know if it's really true, but uh, because he's the only guy that said he did, <laughs> I'll believe it was Jerry Cheevers. Wow. Who, uh, 
uh, one day, uh, I, I don't remember him giving it to me, but he well, one day claimed that he did. So I, I, I will say it's, it's cheesy. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, going to be cheesy. Well, I played with in the 70s and then uh, played under in the 80s. Now, uh, when you go ahead and you talk about Jerry Cheevers, the big label for him throughout his career, he was a money player, always rose to the occasion in the big games. What made Jerry Cheevers so good? Well, I mean, you can't you can't be good in in any sport unless you have the talent and the personality, and especially a goalie. You know, whether you're a pitcher, quarterback, goalie, you, know, you get all the pressure on you. Cheesy handled that pressure very well, and uh, you know he didn't seem to to have too many highs or too many lows. It was all business with him. And I think that's why he was so successful. Now, in the years when they won the Cup in the early 70s, he also had a pretty good team in front of him. Mm. And that's the other thing that you really need to have. I don't care how good a goalie you are. You look at Ken Dryden. He had Savard, Robinson, LaPointe in front of him. In Montreal, usually had the puck in the other end most of the game. So, that's true. That's true. You know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> so that helps. That helps. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're, we're chatting with uh, Boston Bruins Hall of Famer Rick Nifty Middleton here on a walk down memory lane today. If five straight seasons at at least 40 goals and then 90 points, your best seasons, 81, 82, you had 51 goals at your all-time high and you win the Lady Bing trophy. You also get named uh, co-captain with with Ray Bork and then you succeed Terry O'Reilly in 1985. What were those two guys? What were those two guys like, Ray Bork and uh, Terry O'Reilly? Well, you know, starting with Terry, he when I got to the team, uh, Terry was really hitting the stride in in his game. I never saw anybody work as hard as Terry. I mean, he he was the first one to say he wasn't a very good skater, yeah, but he was always the first guy on the ice, last guy off. He set a standard on the ice, and he never expected everybody to to like uh, drop the gloves like he did, but he expected. Uh, the effort to be there and 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 backing up your teammate and uh, that's basically I, I learned that when I got to Boston that everybody backed e- each other up didn't matter what it took and uh, it was a really close knit team and Terry was kind of the inspirational leader and then took over as uh, as captain after uh, Wayne Cashman uh, left and uh, and then became a coach so you know through my whole career Terry was pretty much there as as the leader of uh, on the team and ray coming up in the 1980 we had uh, read a lot about him uh, heard a lot about him and he lived up to every building he was just a, a fun kid coming out of montreal of all places to the boston bruins uh, as the eighth pick i don't know what the other seven teams were thinking about but uh, <laughs> right. yeah, he must have just been jumping up and down when he was available at the eighth pick, and when and then they took him, and they took him and another young young guy, uh, uh, Brad McCrimmon, and, and these two guys came to the team, and it was like a, a, a jolt of energy in the team. Two young, talented players, and and obviously Ray would go on to have a stellar career. And uh, unfortunately, you know, the Bruins were never able to, to put a team together in the 90s to, to w- help him win a cup. Mm. And I'm so glad that he he went to the to a, the right team to win that cup because he only had a year or two left. Mm. And it turned out to be 
last game ever that he won the cup. I mean, somebody should make a movie out of that. Good, good. I've had a chance to uh, to be in his company and to uh, chat with him. Obviously, mentioning your name, that we're good friends, yeah. and uh, just a very, very, very uh, humble, quiet, you know, uh, yeah. classy guy. Really, 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 yeah. really classy. Now. He, uh, he understood what it took to win, um, you know, and coming into Boston with the pressure, trying to, you know, comparisons to Bobby and everything. He he was just his own player, and he worked hard at the game, and he learned the game. And and then when the game got to be more of a conditioning game, he worked hard to get stronger. It's the only way you can survive in that game for so long is, is by your conditioning, because you see the athletes today how well conditioned they are. Well, that was just starting when he going into the nineties, and uh, and that helped him play as long as he did. Now Ray Bork had many memorable goals, but the the, the moment that defines Ray Bork with me was the night that they're retiring Espos number seven. And yeah. he skates over. Were you there? Yeah. You were there. And he yeah. sk- skates over and, and takes uh, takes off his takes off his jersey and he's seventy seven. The guys on the bench didn't know because it was like a last minute decision that day I've read. Uh, mm. between Harry and, and him. And uh you know, he uh I remember the story when they when they gave him number seven because he didn't have seven in training camp that year, and then they gave him seven. He went, "Oh no, I'm gonna I'm gonna wear pads. <laughs> are gonna be all over me, you know." Sure. So I think I think he was happy to give it to Espo. Obviously honored and happy, but to, then to have his own number, his own identity, I think you know really really helped him in the long run. Yeah, that's a great that's a great 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 point. Um, yeah. You held a, a Bruin record for 30 years until Brad Marchand broke it in 2018, 2019. You had 25 <laughs> shorthanded goals in your career. Yeah, I, and honestly, you know, back in those days, uh, the stats weren't really uh, up to up to speed like today. So honestly, during my career, I had no idea that I was I, I had uh, was one ahead of uh, Derek. Uh, you know, he had 24. I didn't know I had beat him. And then it, it wasn't until at least the 90s or maybe even the 2000s that all of a sudden somebody would say, oh, you know, he's he's been the leader in shorthanded goals for so many years. I didn't even know. <laughs> and, then, and, and then it was about, you know, two years later, Brad passed me. So I said to Brad the night of my retirement, I said, you keep going. He said, I said, you could make 50 shorthanded goals the way you're going. <laughs> He's still got a lot of years left, and he's a fantastic player. Yeah, yes, he is one of one of my favorite uh, current Bruins. Uh, yeah. Team Canada, you play for the Team Canada in the Canada Cup in eighty one and eighty four. Eighty four, actually, you won a gold medal. You had four goals during the series. I believe the line was you, Gretzky, and Michelle Goulet, right? Yeah. What kind of a what kind of a uh, what? Because when when you look at Bobby Orr, he, he's, he's so quiet and always used to duck the press and never wanted to be you know the main guy, even though he was the main guy. But sure. does Gretzky have a lot of those? Seems to me, I've never met him, but does he have a lot of those similarities? He does. Mm-hmm. He does. He you know Bobby, you know like I said, I never played with him, but any time I saw him, he never shrugged the, shr- the the press off, win, lose, or draw. He was always there because they were always on him, and he was always a gentleman. Mm. And Gretz was was kind of the same way. He didn't he didn't go looking for it in the dressing room, but of course the cameras and the lights were always on him. 
and he always seemed to say the right thing. And uh, playing on the same line with him and and, uh, and Michelle Goulet, you know, I didn't know that going into training camp. I had I had gone to camp in '81, and I probably wouldn't have made the team unless uh, I think Perot and Barber got hurt. They're both left wingers, mm, and I had Don had played me left wing quite a bit over the three years I was with him in Boston, but I was always listed as a right winger. And so they came to me and they said, hey, can you play left winger? Of course I said I could. What am I going to say? No. That's right. uh, I I made the team on a third line left wing with Kenny Lindsman and Danny Gare. Wow. And we were the third line. And uh, so going into 84, I had no clue that I would be, if you want to call it the first line, it's got to be the first line if Gretzky's on it. Uh, I'm going to be the first right winger. I mean, they they didn't let on at all. And uh, honestly, the, 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 to tell the truth, I wasn't even sure I was going to go after, you know, some of the politics that went on in 81. I was, eh, you know, mm. in the last, last couple of weeks, I decided I was going to go. So I wasn't in the greatest of shape. And uh, when I went into camp, and then they put me on a line with Wayne, I'm like, oh, no. So, you know, but we're in camp a good three, four weeks. And, you know, by the time the game started, I was feeling pretty good. We're chatting with Boston Bruins Hall of Famer Rick Nifty Middleton. The Bruins teams in 76 to the early 80s, just to want to – put this out here you had 25 goals 38 40 44 51 49 and 47 goals and that was really uh you played on some some great 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 teams what's your favorite team uh Bruins team that you played on in the 70s nifty well I mean that whole team from like 76 to 79 with Don uh really didn't change a lot you know, we added one or two guys, and um, in those days, the team stayed pretty much the same. So, you know, that to me, I always said I, I loved playing in the late 70s. It was a different game, no helmets. I, 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 I felt like I caught the end of old-time hockey. Hmm. And, and then the rules changed in 79 when the rule it became mandatory to wear helmets. Uh, I was grandfathered in, so I didn't have to, and a lot of the guys were grandfathered in. So, you know, it took a good five, six years for a lot of the guy, new guys, like Ray coming in that year, had to wear a helmet. And by the mid, mid-80s, about half the league had helmets on, and the sticks actually started coming up, and the game started to change, mainly because of the helmets, believe it or not. But... Um, you know, and then the 80s, uh, Barry Peterson came to the team, uh, young Barry, and, and they put us together. And we, you know, my memory of it was we clicked right away. Yes, you did. Yeah. Uh, and Mike Kruzelinski, a new, another rookie on the left side. We were we were a pretty potent line. And uh, if it wasn't for, for Barry, they, they had traded uh, Mike a year or two later. So uh, we had an array of different left wingers. But um uh, and then Barry had the, the uh, problem with a, a cancerous, uh, I can't remember if it was cancerous or not, but it was in his arm and they had to operate on it, take it out. He missed uh, part of 84, 85, and then I had the head injury in 85, 86, and then mm. they traded him for Cam. And so that was the end of our reign, but we had a really good three years there, and that's where all those points and goals came from. Uh, and in 83, we had the best team in the league. Yes, uh, we you did. lost it in six, so. That's right. You know, uh, yeah, I can't say what was my favorite. It was totally two different types of hockey, mm. two different teams. 
there weren't too many guys left in the 80s team from the 70s team. And it was like, uh, you know, two different worlds. So hard to say which was my favorite, um, but uh, I enjoyed it all. We, we spoke uh, briefly, and you've brought him up a couple times, Don Cherry. What type of a coach, what type of a guy was he to play for? Don, well, in the beginning, um, <laughs> I, we didn't really see eye to eye. Uh, like you said, I got a hat trick my first game. So uh, it was nice of him to play me on a line with Jean Rattel, who I never played with in New York because Rod Gilbert was always his right winger. Mm. So I never had a chance to play with Raddy in, in New York. So I was thrilled. And Johnny Busick on the left side, I thought, wow, this is awesome. My first game was a Bruin, and I ended up getting a hat trick. I always joked that uh, how could you not get a hat trick playing with those two guys? Yeah, right. So I got three in my first game. I only got 20 in the whole year because Don basically benched me the rest of the year and platooned me uh, because he said I, I was a horrible defensive player. I didn't know how to check my hat, meaning, you know, I was only trained to go one way. I didn't know, you know how to check my hat. Four goals, and, and that's it. <laughs> So, you know, whether it was new or whether he just didn't know where to play me because you're not going to take away a position of, of somebody else. But then, you know, the next year in 78, Johnny Busick retired and, and you know, some of the guys shifted around and, and there became more room for me. And then by 79, I was I was playing, you know, a, a, a regular game, a, a regular line with, with Raddy, Jean Rattel, mm. I believe like my memory of it it was myself uh, Rattel and Cashman in that famous seventh game in Montreal mm. and we scored we scored all four goals but no we uh it was it was uh, the 70s were great Don was great as a coach he was a player's coach but and I always credit him to that he saw something in me and he was he wanted to take the time to teach me how to play the game uh, the, the way he thought it should be played and it really served me well going into the 80s after after he left. I, I always thought that those three years that you guys were one player short uh, under the Don Cherry, uh, you know, regime. And uh, so many, so many, just close, yeah. close, you know. Well, we had a very talented team, but they always tried to make us sound like the lunch pail guys, right. you know, that went to work and worked hard. Well, we were. I mean, we were a hardworking team. But we certainly had a lot of talent on that team. Yes, you did. And, you know, there was only one team, Montreal, who half their guys are in the Hall of Fame from those years. Mm. You know, Yvonne Cornoyer and Jacques Lemaire. The roadrunner, yeah. <laughs> you know, Peter Mahovlich. I mean, Dryden, Savard, Lapointe, uh, Robinson, Lafleur, mm. Shut. You know, just go down the list. Mm. Uh, and we, we almost beat them. By 79, we knew we could beat them. And with, if it wasn't for just a little bit bad luck, we would have. And then we would have played the Rangers, my old team for the Cup. I was so looking forward to that. Mm. But it didn't happen. Great, great memory. Could, could you, do you have a fu funny uh, grapes story? I know he used to have a, his dog, uh, the little bulldog. Was it a bulldog or was it a uh, the little white dog he had? Uh, uh, his uh, name was Blue, right? A pit bull called Blue. Pit bull, that's it. <laughs> he had several pit bulls uh, over the years. Um, one of my uh, f f <laughs> favorite funny stories, just to show Don his personality. Uh, we were in Atlanta. We were playing a game in Atlanta one one night. And I think we won. I can't remember. And we it was like a Monday or a Tuesday night. So not like going on. We're staying downtown. 
So we just went across for a couple beers uh, uh, to the bar across the street because we had an early flight somewhere the next day. So our whole team was in there. It was only our team. And um, I won't name the player, but uh, when when it was time for closing, somebody had put money in the jukebox and the manager came over and pulled the plug. And our guy said, uh, hey, I just put some money in there, uh, you know. He goes, well, we're closing. You know, he was kind of abrupt, I guess. And and anyways, one, it came to like, a, you know, raise voices and such. And then from what I heard was that the guy said, you better watch it. I have a black belt in judo or karate or something. And, and this our guy goes, well, you better. And threw a left and, and apparently broke his nose. And he had the guy had glasses on, knocked his glasses off. And all I remember seeing is I was walking out of the bar that he, there was a fountain in there, and, and he had his no, his face under the fountain, and his nose. Was... <laughs> so the next the next morning at the practice, we uh, we were Don called us all to center ice, and and he says, "Hey, you know," because Don was there. Don was there having a beer with us. He he did that very often. As long as you were winning, he'd hang out with you. <laughs> and. Uh, and, and, and so he, he calls the team in the center ice and he goes, you know, gives us a speech about, you know, not not doing that because, you know, he could end up with a lawsuit and, and everything. And, and he's kind of down about it. And then all of a sudden he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out the guy's glasses. <laughs> he, he picked them up off the ground because they were all mangled. And he had a souvenir and he had it in his pocket and he started laughing. <laughs> oh, that's priceless. Wow. <laughs> That's priceless. That yeah, yeah. Wow. You, you know, one of the things in, in watching you and being a fan, watching watching you, uh, you know, play for the Bruins and stuff like that, uh, nobody could could broadcast a Rick Middleton goal like the late Fred Cusick. There was yeah. just so much energy and, you know, Middleton flying down the ice and, uh, you know, Middleton <laughs> stick and, he, and, he, and, and It sounded a lot better than some of them were. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I mean, he was he was just absolutely, absolutely fabulous. Uh, and, Derek, I, and Derek, when Derek was with him. I, that's I, true. I he and Derek, they were fabulous because Derek, I yeah. think, came in for uh, for Johnny Pearson, right? Johnny Pearson, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was just you, know, and in uh, in Derek has has been fabulous. You know, to me over the years, he's been a huge uh, supporter of my anti bullying oh. stuff, and uh, and is always there with uh, you know with great advice and wisdom. Well, he became friends in New York. He, uh, my rookie year, Derek was with the Rangers. A lot of people don't know that. And uh, we became friends in New York, and that's why I wore number 16 when I got to Boston. Oh, wow. That's great. Great. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I got I to kind of cringe when I see a young Derek Sanderson in New York in the Big Apple. Okay, because it could uh, yeah. have only been trouble. There's a whole long story that goes along with that. Him being traded and me being traded. I'll tell you that sometime. All right, that's yeah, yeah. We don't want to do it on uh, on here. It's a family show, you know. I don't want to put you on the uh, don't want to put you on the spot, Nifty. But I think I'm going to have to. Who's the toughest goalie that you ever played against? Uh, you know, I always tried to think of myself. You know, I wasn't out there to get in the, the fisticuffs or basically run somebody through the board. My my goal was to put the puck in the net any way I could. So I never really had a lot of respect for goalies. Mm. I mean, even, even you know, the, the, the great Ken Dryden. I mean, he had a great team in front of him. Mm. And not that he wasn't a good goalie, but... Um, you know, and he stole the the series from the Bruins in '71. You know, That's I right. understand 
that, but he had a hell of a team in front of him. Hmm. Uh, you know, Billy Smith, if I was to, 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 the to, Islanders. He had good teams in front of him, too, but he was such a competitor. And you talk about a money goalie, you talk about a guy with an attitude that just, and, and I've met him afterwards, years afterwards playing uh in old timers games he was still playing goalie and when he was 60 years old in old timers games wow i mean that's how competitive that guy is and i I got a respect for him mainly after after the fact when i got to know him the type of person he is that uh, he was he was a real competitor Uh, and not always on a great islander team until they they got all those guys so but you know guys like um tony esposito i always had good luck against tony even you know dating back with my in my ranger years so Mm. uh, there weren't, weren't a lot of goalies that really impressed me as being being great goalies or or stole me the ones I had trouble with the most are the goofy-handed goalies. Hmm. Somewhat like yourself, you're goofy. Well, um, I, you know, I didn't want to bring it up, but uh, when you did my TV show at, at the Mohegan Sun, um, yeah. uh, you know, you had a stick and I believe you had a a, a puck. And uh, I hate to say it in front of our 3.7 million listeners, but I stymied you. It was one of my favorite words I stole from Fred Cusick. I mean, I wanna... you were stymied and handcuffed. I mean, you just... You, you told me I had to shoot left-handed and I couldn't... <laughs> On one leg? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's great. That's great. Uh, we're chatting with Boston Bruins Hall of Famer, number 16, Rick Nifty Middleton. Tell us about the um, the new Bruins alumni TV website. I know you're very, very proud of that. A lot of hard work went into that. I'm, I'm very proud of it. It's, it's, it's not where it, it, it will be, um, but it's a start because what happened in, in, the, in the terrible pandemic is, you know, so many things shut down and, and we uh, lost eight games last year, uh, alumni games. And we play, uh, you know, for people that don't know, we play about 30 a year with 30 different charities to help them raise much needed funds for their charities. So going into this year, I, I was looking at what the NHL was doing. I said, because what we do is we go into their ranks. We travel to 30 different ranks all over New England every year. And I said, well, why don't we do it kind of like the NHL? Why don't we have a central rink? We can make sure that the uh, all the protocols are followed and to make it safe for not only our team, but the other players on the other team. So that's what we did. And we decided that now there's no fans that are going to be allowed in the game. So how do, how do they get to see the game? Well, we decided we're going to tape it. We had this idea a couple years ago, but we never did anything with it. So we're going to end up taping the games, editing the games, including uh, interviews with the alumni, interviews with the charity, and they're, and they're uh, the people that, that are responsible for the game. There's going to be advertising on there because that's how they raise money. They sell advertising that they used to put in our program, and now will be broadcast on the show. And there will be a link so that people can watching the game will be able to donate into the charity uh, as if they're buying tickets to the game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's just a couple of the uh, uh, the, the, the strong points of this. Um, I'm, I changed the format from a five-on-five to a four-on-four. That that gives you a lot more open ice. It's more of a flow game. Mm-hmm. You're not sitting beside each other during face-offs. You're not jamming for pucks in the corner. And uh, and you change on the fly, so there's not a whole lot of whistles either. So uh, we tried it out at the Canton Ice House, which is where in Canton, Mass, which is where we're going to be playing most of our games. And um, the guys liked it. We had uh, our alumni training camp, we call it one <laughs> one hour a year. And, uh, <laughs> 
and we had 11 guys against each other and the guys seemed to like it. So I, I'm, I'm confident that as we go on game after game, it's going to become a better product and people will be surprised at, at how good the, the, uh, the, the, the caliber of the filming. And of course our, our announcer, John Horgan, who's one of the best in the business. Yeah. John's great. Professional announcer and has a, a mind with all the stats and all the history and everything. Him doing a one-hour show is easy for him, and he's looking forward to it. Well, he's got some great pipes, and as you said, very, very, very knowledgeable and uh, yeah. just a big asset uh, to you folks. I want to mention it. Last year, the Bruins alumni came here to uh, they came to North Adams and played at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Arena ice rink, mm. and people are still talking about that you had the uh down at the american legion they had the reception afterwards and they were simply blown away and this is my well it's my home now is in the berkshires this is right. north adams is like a second home to me with the wonderful wonderful people uh the great city of pittsfield where i live in now but they were so impressed with just how approachable everybody was and you made you and dave jensen another good friend I uh, brought you over to a World War II veteran, uh, rest, in, rest, in, rest his soul, uh, Bob Nichols, who was a World War II right. veteran on the USS Missouri, and and he was blown away by meeting you guys, and I think you guys were blown away by meeting him. Absolutely. It was yeah. quite an honor. Yeah. And, and uh, as I said, the people were just talking about and impressed with just, uh, you know, how outgoing you folks were. Uh, taking pictures, you know, engaging people. Uh, so I think that's a it's a big time credit to you folks. That's what we do, and we're so fortunate because we have about thirty five different guys. You play one game with the Bruins or in the Bruin organization, you're an alumni, and there's so many guys that played here. We always say had a cup of coffee here, you know, which maybe not even a whole year, maybe only a couple of games, mm. but they, they're from here or they decided to keep their homes here. So that's the only way we can do all these games. And what we found out, uh, and I'm not exactly sure why, but the farther we get from the Boston area, really the more the people look forward to seeing us. And, you know, I don't know if it's like every time we play in, you know, Tewksbury or Everett or Revere, you know, they're kind of like, oh, the Bruins alumni again, you know, but you know, we go to the western part of the state. Everybody is maybe because we don't do it all that often. They're really thrilled to have us there. And, and the guys really enjoy uh, having uh, that many fans in the stands. Sure. Signing in between periods. And we usually have a reception afterwards, unfortunately. We can't this year uh, for obvious reasons, but right. um, we're going to get back to that. We're going to get back to that and hopefully be out in North Adams, uh, uh, you know, next year at the same time. Well, the rink was packed last year, and as I mentioned before, everybody just enjoyed you at the post reception. I also want to mention that uh, you came in; it was a uh, it was a one on one, and uh, Nifty Middleton. Uh, some of the some of the old grace and speed were back because you, you you duked this guy. Uh, and, and he fell over. He just fell over, and and it was just a it was a fleeting moment of just to see the 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 Rick Middleton greatness because uh, I I really and I'm not saying that as a as a suck up, but it was a phenomenal just to see you know how good you were. People don't understand when you played a level that you did how really good that you that you were. Well, you know, some the way I always analogize the, the the players, and I'm not even considering myself. I'm talking about the Bobby Orr's and the Gretzky's and that is, 
you know, they could do it all. Uh, and they could do it all at top speed. Now, a lot of guys can skate. Today, you see everybody can skate like the wind. They're all fast. But they all can't carry the puck. They all can't make that inside-outside move. They all can't shoot off the opposite foot at full speed. Mm. But they got the things that make the great ones great are that they can do it all at full speed. <laughs> mm. It's great. And, it's, uh, it's great, yeah. great point. I mean... From a former Nesson hockey analyst, right there, Rick Middleton. I move, but uh, I, I I I tried it often enough that it worked once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, four hundred and forty-eight times it worked. Believe me, four hundred and forty-eight career goals you had. I, I got knocked on my butt quite a bit too. <laughs> <laughs> Nifty, tell us about the movie Tough Sledding. Well, I had, uh, you know, I call it the greatest honor in my hockey career. People ask me, what was your greatest moment? And they're surprised when I I don't say it was when I was playing professionally. Uh, I got a phone call in 2001 from a friend of mine that asked me if I'd be interested in in coaching, being head coach of the U.S. National Sled Hockey Team. And uh, at the time, sled hockey, I'd heard of it, but I didn't know much what it was. I mean, it's hockey for the disabled. And they play in the Paralympics. And um, the 2002 Paralympics were going to be in Salt Lake City uh, three weeks after the Olympics in 2002. And they were the host team. And the only reason they were invited, because they'd only ever won one game in their history, and their coach quit in the World Championships in 2000. And that's why they didn't have a coach. So they were in a shambles. And they asked me, I... I had to answer pretty quickly, and all I heard was hockey and, and uh, Paralympics. And I said, yeah, I'm interested. And to make a long story short, uh, we uh, trained for seven months. Uh, we had our training camp in Buffalo in August of 01. Then, as, as you know, in September, uh, what happened? September 11th. Mm-hmm. And we, know we were supposed to play a tournament in Canada that, that two days later, that got canceled. We never played another team for seven months. We only had one tr- three-day training camp each month for seven months. And then we went into Salt Lake City, never playing another team. Nobody saw us. We didn't see them. And we were the sixth seed out of six teams. We were the last seed, as I said, only there because we were the host team. And we won the gold medal. And we uh, we spanked everybody. We won all five of our games. Outscored the opposition twenty two to three. Played the reigning gold medal champs from Nagano, which was Norway, in, in front of over eight thousand fans at the East Center in Salt Lake City. And it went down to a shootout, an overtime, then a shootout, and then the last shooter. So if you wrote this script, it would sound a little phony that you know underdogs win gold medal in, in the shootout. You know. But it's what happened, and it was only six months after 9-11, and uh, playing the national anthem was, was pretty special with the flag up there. Mm. And, every, and so we've been trying all these years to maybe write a book or get the story told. And through a friend of mine, uh, Gary Brandt, who had a contact with some uh, filmmakers in, in L.A., um, we're now three to four years later – uh, we have a team together, a producer, director. Um, uh, we're going to spruce up the script a little bit. And we even have a, um, uh, what's called a uh, choreographer, a sports choreographer. Nice. For the, the on-ice scenes. She worked first, her first job was on Miracle. Oh, wow. And um, so we got our team together and we're ready to go. Uh, the only thing holding us back is money. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's anybody it. Listen, 
did this or like to invest in a great film, uh, uh, give me a call or, or call Wayno and uh, get hold of me. But uh, yeah, we're uh, we're confident. We have we have some investors lined up, and we're confident. What we want to do is get this movie Tough Sledding made in time for the 22 Paralympics in Beijing, if it's still going to be there. Oh, nice, great idea. Uh, and, and release it before the uh, Olympics and Paralympics in 22. So we got a lot of work on our hands, but we've come a long way in four years, and we're almost there. Well, I, I believe you had a good friend of mine that played for you on that team, Kip St. Germain. Yes, Kip. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. played for us. He was a, He's a veteran of sled hockey when mm-hmm. he first came to the U.S., and he had just ended up scoring a winning goal in the shootout mm. by chance. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it was great, and uh, – all the guys are great, and we're, we're hoping to have a reunion with this. And somebody wants to check it out, it's toughsleddingthemovie.com. Uh, we have a website. And as far as the Bruins Alumni TV, they can go through our bruinsalumni.com website also. So, um, yeah, I'm a busy guy even in this, uh, in this shutdown. Uh, thank God for Zoom meetings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what keeps us going, right? Yeah, Zoom meetings yeah. and podcasts. That's, that's the thing. Podcast. That's yeah. that's right. Well, if you if you need a uh, a street hockey goalie that looks like Shrek, keep me in mind for a role. Would you please, Snifty? I always do. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing I want to touch here. We're, we're chatting with uh, Rick Nifty Middleton, Boston Bruins Hall of Famer, currently president of the Bruins Alumni Association. November 29th, two thousand eighteen. Want to take you back a couple of years. The Bruins mm. retire your number sixteen. What is that feeling like for you? Oh. You know, it, it to me it's still surreal. Um, every time I, I look up uh, and see the banner up there, next to uh, between Terry O'Reilly and Milt Schmidt, I mean, I, I just still can't believe it. I mean, I was out for thirty years. I mean, I, I, it may be a record. <laughs> so anybody having their their uh, their number retired, being out for so long, but you know, I just have to thank Cam Neely for doing it. Um, I remember, you know, Marco Sturm had 16, a, a variety of people wore it over the years, but Marco back in old, uh, back in 2010 had it on at Fenway. And then all of a sudden nobody was wearing it, uh, after that for a few years. And I thought, well, you know, who knows, you know, but all of a sudden somebody could skate out with it on one day and there goes that idea. So I didn't think about it too much. And it was, uh, it was the summer of 18, uh, Cam called me and I got the message. I missed the call and uh, he talks to me about alumni stuff once in a while. So I wasn't even thinking about it, especially cause it was July. Hmm. And I called him back and a few a little small talk. And then all of a sudden he just blurted it out. He goes, well, we've decided we're going to retire your number this year. I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I didn't think I'd heard him. I, I said, what? <laughs> And I almost, I, I did get a little emotional, I got to say. Just uh, My course. wife, five minutes later, and asked me what happened. She thought somebody died. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <laughs> you, got, you won't believe this. And, uh, and that was July, and, and it didn't happen until the end of November. So I had plenty of time to write my speech. Mm-hmm. And I had Good speech, so- by the way. Very good speech. I saw it on, oh, on TV. Thanks. I had so many people to thank, as you can imagine, 12 years here playing and 30 years retired, you know, being in business all those years. And and it was just it was just incredible. It was an incredible night. My wife says I got back to the hotel about 5 (laughs) (laughs) a.m. Oh, you're out celebrating with the boys. Come on. The last time I stayed up that late, I'll tell you that. Hey, you might have been with me. 
Down the Cape, I think. I could have been. <laughs> at some charity uh, golf tournament. My friend at the, the Greatest Bar, Billy Fairweather, was nice enough to give us the fourth floor of the Greatest Bar across the street. And I walked in, and it was jammed. Wow. It was all the people that I'd known over the years that kept saying, hey, can we have a beer? Can we? I said, just go to the Greatest Bar. Go to the Greatest Bar. <laughs> and by the time I got over there, I could hardly get in. <laughs> ah, wow. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. What a tribute. Special night. Best, very special night. Uh, we've been chatting with Boston Bruins Hall of Famer, president of the Bruins Alumni Association, Rick Nifty Middleton, here on a walk down memory lane today. Uh, the, his movie is coming out soon. You can go to toughsleddingthemovie.com if you want to right. check it out. Uh, how does, do you have any advice, Nifty, in, in closing here for, um, for young players that, uh, that get into the game, uh, young collegiate players, uh, along the lines of student athlete, do you have any uh, quick advice that you can uh, that you can convey well, to people out there? The game has changed so much, and and the and the, and it's so competitive today with Europeans in the game. Uh, when I came in, it was all Canadians, not even Americans, and uh, so it is so much more competitive. I had six full scholarship offers. One was to Boston University mm. in sixty nine seventy, and but I didn't take it. But today. Take the take the free uh, uh, education. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, they're they're taking players out of the uh, out of the U.S. colleges into the NHL. They weren't when I was coming up. So get your education first, so you have to fall back on because only a very small percentage ever get to the NHL or even have a have a career in the NHL. So you really have to back yourself up. But you know, one thing that really hasn't changed is. The main reason to start playing hockey and continue playing hockey is to, because it's fun. Mm. You got to have fun doing it. And hopefully you get good coaching along the way because I was so fortunate. Uh, and if you remember my retirement night, I had one of my old coaches from Toronto on the ice. He's in his 80s now, Frank Miller. And if it wasn't for Frank, having a coach like Frank that changed my skating around from about the age of 13 to 16, and help me, uh, help me, you know, become a better player. I would never have ended up getting scholarship offers. I never would have ended up in the NHL. I certainly wouldn't have ended up uh, on the ice that night, uh, having my number retired. So, coaching is huge, and, and but the main thing is just have fun and, and everything take care of. So, spoken like a true professional, Nifty. My guest today has been Richard David Nifty Middleton, Rick Middleton. Boston Bruins Hall of Famer, and also president of the Bruins Alumni Association. My friend, thank you so much for taking the time today to be with us here in a walk down memory lane. Oh, I really enjoyed it, Wayno. Thanks for asking me. I greatly appreciate it. Good luck in your rehab, and uh, we're going to miss you this year at the second annual Wayne Soares Celebrity Golf Tournament to benefit homeless and disabled veterans. Elaborate a little on that. I'm, I'm rehab from my back, right? Yeah, exactly. Reha- yes, exactly. I, I thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> yeah, You're rehab, rehab on your back. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Yes, yes. So uh, all the best to you, my friend, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Look forward to seeing you, Wayne. Okay. Thanks, Nifty. Take care. All right. Rick Middleton has been my guest here on A Walk Down Memory Lane. Our show today is brought to you by our friends at Kamali Electric. Have a great day. God bless our United States military and our veterans, and make it a great day.